0: The Telegraph
1: Podcasts.
2: Hi there, podcast fans. I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome to Telegraph Audio Football Club. Today, Frank Lampard, in association with the Chelsea Football Club, lose 4 0 at Old Trafford to an impressive, if somewhat fortuitous, Manchester United. Where did it all go wrong for the Londoners, or are United now brilliant again? It's business as usual for Liverpool and Manchester City, who prove yet again that they're very, very good at football. Elsewhere, Spurs, Brighton and Burnley all impress on an exciting opening weekend. Plus, a look at transfer deadline day, the first games in the league 1 season, and players our panel would risk an injury to meet. Let's take you now into the audio recording facility, where I'm joined by a good man. JJ Ball, how are you, JJ?
3: I'm good, Tom. That's good. a nice intro. Thank you for that.
2: A pleasure. Always a pleasure.
3: Now I'll be extra good.
2: <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll play with the adjectives as the season goes on alongside him. It's a reasonable woman, Mina Rizuki. How are you, Mina?
4: Hey, hey, hey. Why is that? I'm
2: just, just having a bit of fun, that's Mina. That's
4: so mean. If you did a good woman, it would have been nice.
2: Okay. Okay. We'll keep it in mind for next time. No, <laughs> no
4: that's too late now. I won't be good. I'll be the double on this now.
2: <laughs> Completing our lineup. It's a debut for the season. For the boy wonder, Sam Dean, how are you, Sam?
5: I'm good, I'm good. A slight cold, but I, w- I won't let it get in the way too much. That's new good. New season, new me, all that. Isn't
4: he still, is he still a boy wonder? Uh, yeah, we're getting
5: close to the point where we might have to look at that. What's your age now, Sam? 26. I'm
2: still young. I feel That's... old. Yeah. I feel old.
4: You feel old? Shut up. Sorry, <laughs> that was kind of a lot more bitter than I imagined it would be. <laughs> well
2: said, Mina. you've spoken for the audience there. Let's start with Manchester United, a 4-0 victory for them, a drubbing of Chelsea. Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer back at the wheel, Frank Lampard struggling to steer his Chelsea team anywhere positive in his first league game. Before we get into it, let's hear from our northern football correspondent,
6: James Ducker, who was at the game. Here's what he made of it. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has talked all summer about the need for Manchester United to hit the ground running Well they've certainly gone and done that here at Old Trafford today with a 4-0 win over Chelsea There were highly encouraging debuts in defence for Aaron Wan-Bissaka and Harry Maguire And another debutant, Daniel James, came off the bench to score United's fourth goal A difficult afternoon in the end for Chelsea But they had chances of their own Tammy Abraham and Emerson hit the woodwork, and they did ask, uh, certainly ask questions of um, United before it became a very difficult and more one sided second half. Very interesting at the end, too. Paul Pogba was the last to leave the pitch, but made a point of applauding all corners of Old Trafford, and that applause was reciprocated. And as he approached the tunnel at the end, he went, took up his shirt, and went to hand it to a uh, United, a young United fan a very different scene for the final day of last season against Cardiff when he was involved in a altercation with a supporter perhaps an attempt to build bridges after a summer when he's been angling for a move to Real Madrid maybe but it was pretty much a perfect start for Solskjaer. So depending on what you make of that,
2: Pogba possibly staying, possibly trying to mend some relationships or possibly off saying his goodbyes. We'll see about that. But let's focus first on the new arrivals at Manchester United. Debuts for Harry Maguire and Aaron wan How did that change Man United's defence, Mina?
4: Um, well, it improved them quite drastically, to be quite honest. I thought Harry Maguire was obviously... A, quite a shining star for them, considering that he's new. He won all his jewels, like in in the air. He was strong. He read the game really well. I thought actually he, so he knows when to step in, when to make the difference. Aaron Wan-Bissaka is one of the few right backs in the world who really understands. When to move forward, when to come back, how to defend, how to attack. He is really a, is a perfect purchase for them. Having said all of these things, and as much as I thought that their purchases were really good and their defence was so much more improved from last season, I do have a problem with the structure and and the midfield. So, and I thought that Jose Mourinho, who by the way I I thought made a great pundit, um pointed that out quite effectively and he just said the problem with Luke Shaw is obviously like you're going to have to cover for him and um, and I was like yep and he said and if Harry like if Harry Maguire is having to to help with that then that's going to leave ga- like goals at the like uh, gaps at the back which the midfielders need to be the ones who plug these gaps rather than having to shift any of your centre backs and this is something that I think they really need to look at and this is where it's really important to have a defensive structure we underestimate how good Liverpool's midfield are protecting that the, the centre-backs and protecting the, the back line. And as good as Virgil van Dijk is, you're only ever as good as your teammates around you and how much they're willing to sacrifice as well and plug any gaps that you might have missed. And I think that's going to be really important, whether or not people will try to shift Maguire out of position because you can do that with him. He does like to come out um, and, and play the ball from the back. So it'll be interesting to see how that will develop and whether the midfield will understand and whether Solskjaer will find ways of plugging gaps, whether it's Luke Shaw moving forward and then someone just dropping in and to see what happens.
2: I suppose what you got with Van Dijk as well is he doesn't do a lot of that, does he? He stays back generally. He does. He's, He's not very disciplined. Who gets drawn into the midfield in an attempt to kind of win the game. You know, to win the ball back when the chips are down. It seems to be a problem for both teams that area between defence and midfield. I know you highlighted it, JJ, um, in your tactical preview for the game. Uh, Chelsea got quite a lot of joy in the opening stages, um, exploiting some of the gaps that United were leaving. Do they lack someone to finish off those chances at the moment?
3: Um, maybe you can see that Tammy Abraham's maybe not going to be the boy who gets some twenty goals a season, but he'll harsh off the one game. No, exactly. Uh, it, <laughs> was,
2: it wasn't a brilliant start for him, he, yeah. I
3: think he'll come good. Honestly, it just takes time. Like once he gets a bit of confidence and he knows he belongs that level, he'll. I think he'll be decent for Chelsea. Um, it's, you know, it's tough choosing between him and Giroud as well, with different kind of players. But Abraham's got more pace, and that's one of the things that, that Lampard's looking at because. Uh, as I sort of addressed in this tactical preview that I wrote, Chelsea are going to absolutely batter some teams but are going to get destroyed by anyone who attacks, especially through the middle on the counter. And it happened three times against uh, Man United. It's a, it was so, so, so clear from watching it in pre-season where the problems are. And it's, it's, you can see it in build-up. So when Sarri had them building up from the back, you know, they'd be quite deep. The centre-backs would be split and then the full-backs would push up and then you've got three midfielders in Sarri's always in that kind of triangle. Um, but now Lampard wants them to not just tip-tap for the sake of it. He wants to get the ball forward. It's kind of more direct play. And it's definitely him in transition at the moment. Because you see, like in pre-season, for example, we'll come at the Man United in a second, but in pre-season what was happening was the, the centre-back, rather than passing side to a full-back or inside to Jorginho, would just play it straight forward to a midfielder. We normally, actually, one of the wide forwards would drop into midfield to pick it up. Like Pedro would come from a wide position to deep to pick it up, who would then turn and hit over the top. So it's like three passes would get you in behind the defence rather than 190 getting you towards the final third when Jorginho was doing all his bits and pieces. But you saw it here against Man United that if you do that and your full backs are really wide and high like they're meant to be and you're playing a 10 rather than three midfielders. you've got Jorginho drops between the two centre backs to make it a three. Then you've got another one floating about who was Kovacic and they swapped around a little bit. Just um, and it's floating around and you've got a 10 who is Mount at times and Barkley at times it means there's this huge gap between defence and attack so if you lose the ball and especially if you're playing direct passes like Zuma's not the best passing out in the back he's he's a good player but he's not the best at that it means that the turnover possession just leaves you vulnerable right through the middle Liverpool will go to town on them if they play like that ever again and Man City exactly the same I imagine most coaches be watching that hoping they get to play them early before Lampard works out
2: Just it, a perfect game for Pogba wasn't it on Sunday like you yeah. absolutely thrive with that with that sort of direct balls over the middle just seems to suit him incredibly well although Frank Lampard said afterwards it was never a 4-0 I had a bit of sympathy for him Sam did you did you agree with that?
5: Uh, yeah I think so I think watching it the balance of play was relatively even I thought, JJ, you're completely right about them getting exposed through the middle. But when Chelsea had the ball, they were quite, I think, quite neat in their build-up. They made a few chances, particularly in the first half.
3: Good, good players, though, don't they? So you'd expect them to. Yeah, but <laughs> they, were, they were
5: doing fine. They were more than pulling their, their weight, really. And then the issue they had was that at one end of the pitch, the ball wasn't sticking to Abraham. He was just letting it go every time. He wasn't holding it up well wow. enough. And at the other end, Zuma was struggling, and it was erratic, and the, the penalty he gave away was, was stupid, and he also a bit loose with his passing, as you mentioned, JJ. Mm. So they're sort of at either end, they, were, they had weaknesses, but in the middle, I thought they, they did some quite good stuff. And I was particularly impressed with Mason Mount. And I know Lampard was bemused that Mourinho had sort of criticised Mount afterwards. And I thought Mount had a really good game. He was sort of involved all the time. He took some good, put some good deliveries in, did set pieces, and was sort of... There was only one... There was a big chance he had when he tried to cut back for... I think it was cut back for Abraham, and he sort of scuffed it. And that was a big a big moment, I think, at 1-0. But um, beyond that, I thought he had a really good game. And, and Chelsea had quite a few encouraging moments despite a pretty depressing scoreline
4: hmm. I don't know I'm going to be honest here um, from last year well last week when we were talking about all the, the zen-like approach and how everyone was going to be so patient with Frank Lampard because he's got this youth and he wants to promote it firstly I don't reckon their youth are as good as what United have when it comes to youngsters if I'm honest um uh, I do think Martial and Rashford are are exceptional players who who have the who it's different when you're building them up or giving them more of a chance um over like a Lukaku or whatever it is because one of them has been playing Champions League football with Monaco one of them is like you know a prodigy um I'm not saying to you that Tammy Abraham's not going to be that kid but from just judging the way that he's playing the game, there's a lot that he needs to learn and that's going to take a lot of time from holding up the ball to timing his runs because there were just so many chances that it would be a tap-in if he timed his run perfectly. Of course, you know, we've seen Sterling grow in and, and, and there's nothing to say that these guys aren't going to be even better than whatever United have. But I think that you know what irked me a little bit was that he said it was four mistakes and that's why we were done. No, it wasn't four mistakes. We saw Solskjaer in this side. We know that they don't have a midfield. When you don't have a midfield, your only option with pace up front and no midfield that can control the game is counterattacking football. We knew that at one stage that's what they're going to do. So your mistake is not having found a way to, to try to deal with that. The fact that they didn't have to do that in the first half and that you dominated was luck. It wasn't that you guys were stu- stupendous. They they are a counterattacking team and you have to see that that was going to come at some point. So where was the benefit in what What did you try to do to make sure that that doesn't happen? And yes, you know, there is the Kurt Zumas and stuff, but they shouldn't be exposed. You know, you shouldn't have to put them under that kind of pressure. I do think there were lots of attacking mistakes as well. And that wasn't noted either. There were many chances that you had and you should have converted them in the first half, but you didn't. What I wanted him to come out and say, it wasn't for individual mistakes. It's like, guys, if you want me to work with this team and you want the youngsters to progress, then we're going to have many games like this. Let's not beat about the bush. This isn't just about a couple of mistakes. This is the fact that this this is a young squad. And it's going to take time for Tammy Abraham to realize when to do this and when to do that, how to hold the ball up, how to work with his teammates. It's going to take time that I get back some of my veterans who can help with this, whether it's Kante, who's fit enough to do that or not. But I thought that he, him coming out and looking a little bit defensive in the way that he was saying everything. I don't think was realistic.
2: Yeah, not a great look for him. Leicester at home next up for Chelsea, which feels like quite a big game already for Lampard. Let's just return briefly, Mina, to uh, the matters off the pitch. What did you make of Mourinho in the studio? Why did you like him?
4: I loved him because I just think that he's very like matter of fact, you know. He didn't look
2: (laughs) delighted to be there. No, No.
0: very miserable. And
4: he was desperate to be like, I can't wait to get a job, you know, like back in football (laughs) so I don't have to do this. I don't think that he has a very like love for any pundits and, and he was, and I thought that he made the point of you know he's like listen I would have played experienced players but I don't know you know like at the end of the day I hated it when you guys came out and said I should play this this and I'm like Cut, you don't know anything you don't know what's going on in the dressing room and, and I thought that that was a very like um, <laughs> interesting thing to say because he did say you know why aren't there no more experienced players for Lampard to be playing but at the same time said I don't know what that is I don't know what's going on in the dressing room who's available to play I would have done this 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 if I had a full team but you know and I, I just feel like he was kind in, 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 when he was trying to say something, but at the same time, very matter-of-fact, which is why we love him, because he's blunt, right?
2: Yes, he should work well in that role, I'm sure, until someone gets very desperate and gives him a job. Let's move on <laughs> to the two favourites for the title, Liverpool and Manchester City. Impressive starts for both of them. Both of those games, for different reasons, were potentially games that those teams might not have been taken that seriously, potential banana skins. Was I wrong to expect anything else? Was it inevitable <laughs> that Liverpool and Man City are just so well managed and such well-oiled machines that this was always going to be two big wins?
3: I don't know. I mean, it's the most competitive league in the world, except there are a clear front two who are quite a lot better than everyone else. Um, I thought Liverpool were outstanding because Norwich did well and I like the way that Norwich came out and um, tried to put them back a little bit. Maybe weren't expecting it. Um, and they did well. Timo Pukki's movement off the ball was fantastic. His goal was really well taken and they all do well this season, I think. Uh, Man City are just a different level like West Ham didn't know what to do with them and West Ham are good Pellegrini was moaning about Pep's tactical fouling but I mean <laughs> it, that's just how you do it it's, but then you hear all these different versions of the same thing as six-second press and all that but if someone's coming towards your uh, your half of the pitch and you don't want them to do that you foul them no one moans at Spurs doing it all of the time like Man United used to do it all of the time it's just stop and play so you can reset and get back into shape but um, Raheem Sterling's two goals well he should have that Little, little bit where he maybe would have had three would
2: he alright we're, we're going to have to do this as, uh. as you know all audio football <laughs> club fans your guarantee this year is we're never going to discuss VAR for longer than one minute on every podcast let's have a let's start the timer producer Joel let's let's get it going so the VAR thing in the West Ham game I agree with Adam Hurry, who has basically said over the weekend that offside is a matter of truth it doesn't matter where the cutoff point is in offside the tech is always going to make any sorts of decisions extremely marginal so there's no point complaining about the degrees of tightness involved
5: do you agree, Sam? I quite like the argument that you can you should change the rule to if any part of your body is onside, then the goal should stand, or you should be onside there so rather than any part of your body being offside doesn't I'm change avid. the
2: nature of the argument there, does it? Because it's just a different way of deciding what on and offside is. Change side the rules,
4: is. but VAR's right.
2: Right, yeah. I, th- I thought Peter Walton was good on BT Sport as well. He says, we accept it when the ball is a millimetre over the goal line, but at the end of the season, fans and the media will accept it when it is a millimetre offside. Mm-hmm. He's right,
3: isn't he? Yeah. If it's, if it's that good and it's that tight and they can rely on it, and the referees certainly seem to believe that that's dead on, the technology they're using to get these lines to show exactly where they are. The only problem with it is... Uh, to do with frame rate so if you've got say, mm. 24 frames to a second and it's paused at exactly the wrong one that could yes. uh, at what point and that's it I'm afraid that's <laughs> the end of the VAR
2: discussion for this episode very well done let's go back to Man City what about Rodri impressive debut for him JJ
3: yeah he seems to just know what he's doing Has very good in. on the
2: tactical fails.
3: Yeah, <laughs>
2: that's what you want from him. Like I
3: said last week, it's a, it's week in the a post. skill.
2: It's a skill yeah. knowing how to do a foul that's not going to get you Definitely. booked.
4: Yeah, you got to read I, And the I play. think it's a really big thing in continental football. Like, as in, it, when people don't do it, I'm always really shocked by it. So if Man City didn't go about doing these things that Rodri did, I would, I would have been like, why are you not doing that? And I think you're relatively poor.
3: And I don't think it's Pep telling them to the like you're going to tactically foul. That's not how you coach it. It's just that you try and stop them. And if you realise you're in a bad situation, you try and you try and take them out. Like it's not. It just makes perfect sense. Jorginho
4: um, did it yesterday for Chelsea when he when he looked at his teammates and he's like, guys, and he took a yellow card. Well, that's not know? a tactical
3: foul. That's just a hack. <laughs> <laughs> and I am all well, about it. Well, he tried um, to
4: be a, a little bit more elegant about it. It's just
3: that if you're just wide by the halfway line, you might realise you're not in the best shape to defend a certain attack. So you just sort of tip them up a little bit, hold them back before it becomes a problem. Makes um, sense. West Ham are a bit pathetic, aren't they? West Ham's record at home to
5: City in the last three or four years is, is abysmal. Like they just ship at least four or five goals every time they play them at home. And you look at it and think, I know Pellegrini loves playing attacking football, and I love Pellegrini, and he's a, you know, he's a great manager and he's got a great record, but like, he's got he's to change his shape up a bit when you play City. You can't try and play your game against City. They're so good that you have to at least try something a bit more defensively, like resolute, and the fact they just got taken to the cleaners again. <laughs> yeah. like, like First game of the season, like, at least, like, give your fans some hope that something might change, and So uh, last beats.
3: last season, and uh, the teams who did best against them are always had a back three or five and uh, forward three. So they would try and engage City high up the pitch, so they could just uh, get onto any mistakes and launch attacks that way. But they always had five and sat really deep when City had the ball and blocked blocked off. That's kind of the template to beat them. But when you do that, it tends to be that they just pass around your final third until they eventually score. So I, I do, I still like it when managers think, well, I've got a good team. I spent some money on this, you might as well have a go. It's the West Ham way after all. <laughs> <laughs> but they, did, they
5: had they had Declan Rice and Jack Wilshire playing in midfield. Yeah. And obviously Jack Wilshire's not the most mobile and he's still building his fitness so up who again. I know he's it? had a good preseason. A third body. Lanzini played number ten, but Lanzini's not he's a creative player. He's not gonna get in the way of the city's sort of passing machine. And you just look to the, all those players like De Bruyne, Rodri, David mm. Silva, Marez coming in like it's completely outnumbered. But again. you see he's
3: going man to man. You could have that like, your tens gonna stay on Rodri to make sure that he can't um, link play all the time that there, and then you have your other two bodies. Wilshire and Rice would be man and man with Debruna and Silva. So they other playing, was it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah,
4: but you're not going to win those jewels.
3: What's not, what, I mean, how do you mean by duels or like individual tackles or? Well, they, they move so much that it's better to do zonal because they're moving so clever, they just run across you. And so it's constant communication, which is why it's just easier if you've got everyone behind the ball. Yeah, this <laughs> is honestly what it is. But it's weird though,
4: it. watching, watching them and then like li- watching Liverpool, then watching Man City. And I actually watched it the other way around. I watched City first. And. You could see with City, it was it was a case that they won, like, OK, fine, West Ham were hopeless. But it was because they were so beautiful going forward, because yeah. they were so switched on and they had that chemistry between them. And Sterling was just on another level of madness. He was so superb to watch. Um, and, and actually, they weren't at the very best in the sense that they were a bit sloppy. Sometimes some some passes were taking too long to, get to take off. But you thought that this is a really great team. Incidentally, when I was watching Liverpool against Norwich... I spent most of my time just laughing at that Norwich back line. Yeah. And and with I don't mean that with like, a you know, <laughs> disrespect. But I understand that they want to play attacking football. And I get that. And I've just, all I've heard is all these compliments for how exciting it is to see a team want to be progressive. But not if that's your back line. I am sorry, but I just thought that that was... I was just sitting there being like, this cannot be happening. Am I the only person that's like, are you crazy? Get somebody back there or offer some protection. This is still Liverpool. Like, at least I get it. You want to go and do something? Maybe they thought to themselves, we're not going to win against Liverpool, so let's just try having fun. But I do think that it, in terms of going forward, like, these guys had no awareness at the back. Hanley, for me, is just n- no disrespect. I'm sure he's a really great guy, but really on, on a Premier League centre-back, he's not going to cut it with the way that he was playing his football. He had no awareness of what's going on I've seen him I saw him a couple of times pointing to where others players should be and it's like well you're not in the right position dude (laughs) so I I do feel like with that I just I have no idea how Norwich City are going to stay up I I mean I don't know there are going to be teams that outscore them you know so it's not like their front line is so good that another team, like, you know, your Everton's, your Leicester's, these guys are going to destroy them with that back line.
2: Something I did really like about Norwich is when they did score their second half goal, so slightly on the edge of doing this, but Timo Pukki did, like, try and get the ball and run back towards the centre circle. Like, come <laughs> on, we can... And it's like, no, come on. We're not convincing anyone here. And
0: people are
4: like, yep, yeah, he's already established himself as a Premier League player. That was such a great performance. It's 90 minutes, yeah. Let's, let's just wait a, wait a second. In context, right. like
3: they're playing at Anfield against the European champions... One of the best stacking sides I think I've ever actually seen. So you know they're going to score at least one. So you know you've got to score if you're going to win. <laughs> so you might as well. Yeah, like the no, way That
4: could be what it is. Maybe there's they just thought to themselves, let's just have fun because we're not going yeah, to win. There's time for them to get it right. There's time yeah. for them to
3: improve that defence.
2: Let's quickly talk about Liverpool's goalkeeping situation, Sam. Mm. Uh, Alison will be out for a while. Is you convinced, uh, are you convinced Adrian could do a job in this place?
5: Uh, I don't think Adrian will be... Anywhere near Allison's level, and we've seen what an impact Allison had last season when he came in and replaced Simon Mignolet, and just the, the composure he's got at the back, the sort of the the coolness he exudes, and you do wonder that what kind of knock-on effect that will have on the defence. Obviously Van Dyke's there, and there's a very confident back four there, which has obviously won the European Cup had such a great season, but you do wonder if that will be a, a major major issue for Liverpool going forward because Adrian obviously he's not really played that much football in recent years. And he's obviously he was a good, West, good, goalie, good goalie at West Ham a few years ago, but he's, he's not a top-level keeper at all, and Alisson's one of the very best there is, so there's no way that doesn't have an impact.
2: I will just say that Alisson and Adrian does sound like a really lovely 1980s wedding, <laughs> uh, which I'd be delighted to go to. JJ, we've had a listener question addressed to you from our friend Lubanza Chama, who's got in touch via AFC podcast at telegraph.co.uk. He says... How best can a team trying to play out from the back take full advantage of the new rule that allows defenders to be in the penalty box during goal kicks?
3: Well, it depends entirely on the situation and what you're playing against because some teams will try and engage you high next to the box. Others will just drop deep. Like, um, For example, like Southampton want to try and uh, constantly press and press and chase and chase, chase, but Burnley were just like, well, we're not going to do that, and then we're just knocking their, their goal kicks as long as they could. So there's no way to get, there's no even benefit to it. But you'll see some teams you can pass out from the back, especially like City will do it. So the centre-backs, rather than being split either side of the centre of the, the box, can now be either side of the six-yard box. But the whole point is to create angles and passing. All your passes, want you want them to be uh, diagonal. You never want a sideways or a uh, or straightforward. You want it to go at an angle, so it, you've always got another link that can take it up to the next level and your team can move up the pitch. So it's going to really depend on who they're playing against, uh, how good your passers are. Arsenal were trying it an awful lot, mm. and I'm not sure... They're quite the best at it yet. Mm. But, <laughs> um, yeah, the, the guy, whoever's on the ball, it's because as soon as Arsenal were doing it, they were right deep in the six-yard box and they were taking it. And then what should then happen, ideally, if you're passing from the back, is your goalkeeper becomes a sweeper. But if you don't do that, and straight away, if your centre-back's a level with a goalkeeper and he's not a sweeper, he's just a sideways pass, and then he has to basically clear it or go back sideways, and you can close that down. It's pretty easy to close the gap. So I don't know what the the best way to do it, but... You'll see lots of innovations. One of the things you definitely can't do is scoop it up um, back and, and head it back to the keeper. That's been banned. I thought you that was pending
5: that. further review, or has that now been. I think reviewed? it's because
3: it comes under of those, those like non official laws that it's too cheeky, so don't yeah. do it. <laughs> yeah, it's like, <laughs> like
5: scooping the ball up and heading it back uh, to exactly.
3: outside the box. The same yeah. way you can't just do keepy ups and head it back. Yeah. You know? I always yeah. wondered about that. Uh, yeah. A great shame. I'm not cheeky.
2: <laughs> let's talk about something which has happened in between podcasts which is transfer deadline day. Some action at Arsenal, Sam. They bought some defenders and they sold yeah. Alex Iwobi. What did you make of their business?
5: I thought it was quite exciting. It was uh, they were they were in my books the most sort of dramatic movers I think in the last week. Um, I think you can't really argue with the Tierney and Louise signings. I mean, let's start with Louise. He's obviously experienced a quality defender. He can play that technical game which Emery's trying to in still and he signed for eight million. Which they sold Lauren Kashani for four point six, and they sold a nineteen-year-old left back called Dominic Thompson to Brentford for a fee that could rise to four million. So they more than made their money back on David Luiz already, and they've essentially just swapped Koscielny, who's a year older and a lot more defense, a lot more physically frail, for one of the one of the, one of the best defenders of the Premier League's seen in the last four or five years. So
4: that's really on, high praise for David Luiz. Do you not think?
5: I mean, he was a key key part of the Antonio Conte's team that won the league. He was a central figure to Sarri's team that came third and won the Europa League. No, he definitely he's
4: achieved success and he was part of the Brazilian team that was also smashed 7-1. Yeah, I, yeah I no, of course.
5: I mean, no one's saying that this guy's like the solution and the best centre back in the world. But he, I think in the last few years, I mean, can you think of one high-profile mistake he's made last couple of seasons? I can't.
3: That's probably on my scope. <laughs> <laughs> <But laughs> also, as well, because he's, um, I think he's probably... That's From what I've seen, him he tends to be better in a three, just because the way that mm. works, you're a bit more, um, a bit safer, and he can be the the sweeper where you can play balls about, you can mm. you can come out to midfield because he likes being midfield. So if you're in a three, it's far safer if you carry the ball to midfield and Absolutely, hit it. Absolutely, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And that means something that Arsenal can do as well. I think Tierney is going to be so good for yeah. Arsenal. Yeah. And for not just because he's good at the football, but <laughs> because he's the kind of young leader captain that teams at like Arsenal haven't had for just ages. Mm. He's like the kind of that just driven determination. You've got to be a bit mad to have it. He's absolutely, definitely mad, a bit mad. Mm. Uh, we'll give I them think that's so exactly much. what they need. Yeah, and, and he plays a bit like, he'll be a bit like a Monreal kind of replacement. It's, it's similar in the way that he gets up and down the left, likes to attack, he's very good at it, but he can also do a shift at centre-back. But it's what he brings kind of character-wise to that team that makes him such a good buy.
5: A fun fact about Tierney. Um, he broke... Aubameyang's club record for the uh, vertical leap in the medical which is when you hands on hips and just jump up in the air Really? He got, he got the club record of, yeah, Apparently yeah.
3: that's because they showed him how much he's getting paid per week
5: <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done JJ Elsewhere on transfer deadline day
2: Wilf Sahar denied his move to Everton seemingly quite annoyed but got a lovely reception at Palace on Saturday so I'm sure he'll tough it out for another six months at least Andy Carroll has gone back to Newcastle Possibly to restore his waning powers, but I like quite possibly move. not. Yeah, maybe. Maybe that'll work. I really want him to be good again. Yeah. I love Danny
4: Cowan. I like Icon. It's like, yeah.
1: nice.
2: <laughs> <laughs> What about Spurs? Mina, two late signings for them. Lo Celso and Cessignon in. Are they looking better than they were last season? And do you think they should keep Christian Eriksen? <sighs>
4: It's a difficult question to answer, because obviously Ericsson was so the difference maker in their in their match against Villa. He came mm. on and it just looked like he was just the, the game, yeah. yeah, he changed the game for them. Um, having said that, they didn't play Lacelso, and he is um also a senior actually. And um for me, Lacelso is one of those rare talents that you have, um so beautifully, um so beautiful in his manner is his vision, his touch, his technique. Um, The fact that he can play in in the midfield or he can play as a false number nine, his movement, the way that he reads the game. So potentially with him around, you don't necessarily need Ericsson if they all find a way of like coming together. You've got You've got, you've got options there. I would like Eriksen to stay because I still think that while he may not play every single match, he knows how to make a difference. But I, I do think that they've got some, they made some good purchases and I'm excited to see Ndombele next to mm-hmm. La Celso.
3: Also, uh, Vertonghen was on the bench. Well, not even the bench. He wasn't mm-hmm. even in the squad, which apparently was a, just a decision, Pochettino mm-hmm. said. But mm-hmm. he was sat, I mean, I'm not saying he's done anything, but he was sat in the stands next to his teammates with sunglasses on looking very much like he'd just come off the back of a five-day stag do. Maybe that's
1: what happened.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, let's ask the lawyers about that one. (laughs) Let's stay with Spurs as we wrap up the rest of the Premier League weekend. A good debut for And Belay, Harry Kane back looking sharp. JJ, they must be feeling optimistic after that victory against Aston Villa. Coming from behind too. Mental strength from Tottenham.
3: Yeah, I really liked how Villa started this game. And I thought they were doing really well. And like Mina says, Christian Eriksen came on and pretty much changed the game. Uh, There's a few little individual errors that led to the goals. Jack Grealish Mm. in the first half especially was was great. At um, He likes to drop deep, get the ball, and then his first touch takes it just like a teasing amount away so someone goes to close him down. And then the next touch is a foul. He does it all the time. But in the second half later on in the game, I think Spurs are wise to this and just knew if you just go up to him and get it without letting him fall to the ground, you're going to be able to get away, which is exactly what happened for for Kane's goal. Um, Yeah, I think Spurs... Uh, looked a lot better and I thought they would be straight away at the start of the season and it's a good score like 3-1 although it did take a while to come mm. I, I wonder whether
4: physicality was something
5: I think the issue that Villa had was that they had Wesley up front and he was just <laughs> I, mean, I mean it's tough, a tough first game in, the, in a new league but yeah. like, he was not holding the ball up at all we like, were talking about Tammy Abraham earlier and Wesley was even like, even more loose with his touch and every time Villa tried to play forward and play off him He just sort of surrendered the ball and and spurs it back again. Mm. And you can see why Grealish felt like... And we said it, as you say, JJ, in the first half. Grealish basically was doing one-man counter-attacks, just getting the ball and just running with it. Because He, he basically is, decided, he is good, he? I can't trust Wesley, I can't pass the ball yeah. to Wesley because he'll lose it. So I'm just going to run it myself. And that was what, in the 86th minute, that was what cost him that, that winning goal, really, which is when Grealish looked up and thought, oh, no, I'll go for it again myself. Got caught in possession and then yeah. the ball but comes he is, to he case. is
4: sort of the quality guy. But you looked at also at the end with Jack Grealish and you felt like he, you know, he sort of wasn't aware of his surroundings and then got dispossessed quite easily. And obviously that led to the goal and I just thought that I didn't know whether they were just when I say physicality whether they were just really tired might mm. have
3: been yeah it was a tough game uh, um, and there's just maybe maybe the event you're like well, we're doing really well here let's not make a mistake yeah. and then it feeds in I thought you saying he, he was very good and John McGinn yeah. was excellent right. John McGinn is such McGinnis a good player a good yeah. Player, yeah. Yeah. yes high
2: so hopes Villa I'm sure we'll be hearing far more about this and on that sort of tone from Matt Law as he returns soon to the audio recording facility result of the weekend Sam for Brighton 3-0 at Watford all their stats in that game were so far far up on what they were under Chris Heaton. Um Graham Potter seems to have completely changed the way that they play. What did you make of how they performed?
5: I thought oh, that was a remarkable transformation, not least because it's pretty much the same players who were there last year. It wasn't like the new ones all started. Trossard was on the bench, uh, Mopé was on the bench. So. Yeah,
2: and not only that, players who had previously been in the team and not looked that good, like Dan Byrne, the centre-back. Yeah,
5: exactly, and the, the, I think it was the third goal, the one that Mopé scored, when Dunk sort of put the ball up in the middle of the back, back three, sort of, charge forward then played like Ekendoro. a defence yeah like yeah. a defence splitting pass and that I mean duck has got a good a good range of passing him but we'd never seen him do that before and he's never that sort of incisiveness going forward and that bravery in the past. And that I think spoke a lot about what Potter's instilled there. And I think I mean I, I spoke to Potter uh, when he started at Swansea last year and I also went out to Sweden to speak to him uh, the previous season. I think he's a really engaging, interesting guy and he's got a masters in emotional intelligence and I think he understands how a millennial mind works and people always talk about you know Mourinho had that great hold over people of a certain age but then when younger players came through they were perhaps used to being treated differently didn't like being shouted at as much or that you know that cliche that's been stuck to Mourinho from that and uh, I think Potter's sort of 10 years 10 years later he's the one who's got I think this sort of natural connection with that with that age group and I think a lot of young players are really Buy into what he's trying to do.
2: I don't doubt that, but a master's in emotional intelligence does sound made up. Was it from the <laughs> University of Life? By
4: Isn't that something you either have or you don't have? Like you either have, like I don't know. You either have EQ or you don't. I can't imagine you being taught that. You know, like I don't know. I but went, he is. He is the Lord and Savior. Like, I didn't, <laughs> can I just say something? I feel like JJ, you thought Brighton could go down, right?
3: Uh, based on what I saw last season, yeah.
4: Based on their squad it's a bit thin
3: on the squad yeah what they've got and then but I've been going through this uh, Brighton's game I'm writing a, a little tactical piece on it just, just now and you can see Potter's hands all over it straight away this is
4: what it is Specifically He's so
3: smart there's, di- like, there's just diamond shapes all over the pitch so they defend in diamonds like literally the one player at the tip one at the bottom and then two wide but they're all over the pitch so when they go wide it's a different I mean and the players are swapping position um, during these moves overlapping underlapping to keep that shape and it uh, they let, they let it go for a little bit at the end of the first half, which is understandable, just new to it, and they were a bit scrappy in the second. But as soon as they put on the and- Andoni, is that his name? Mm-hmm. Andoni yeah. came on. Uh, that seemed to like wake them up again, and that's when they started scoring again. He took two.
4: gambles. He believed in the guys that you know had come on last year and didn't do anything special. One of the reasons why they didn't go around. I mean, they did spend money, but it, they didn't want to spend so much, was because they thought that this is. This is a man who can rev- who can change our team. He can make the ones that didn't do very well perform a lot better this mm-hmm. season, and I just think that he makes it fun for everyone. So you do want to engage in this, like you know, diamond defending or or being like it, everything is is done in a way where you don't feel like it's a chore and you have to do this. It's not like you're being pressed, being like win the ball, win the ball. He's he he has such a connection with his players, and he's got such crazy ideas, but so smart because he studied so much that I I feel like. Potter, for me, I mean, I, I want, I want them to be in top ten, and well, I think they can manage what, it.
5: What Potter does really well is improve players, as you say. I mean, you look yeah. at last year, Dan James went from pretty much unknown Precisely to that. being a £20 million winger and even Ollie McBurney got a £20 million move for Sheffield United like yeah
3: I mean he's come a, he's a, <laughs> a, yeah come on <laughs> that's proof of a wizard yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's indeed the and going to be good for but he's too. a coach he's, he's a manager he's a coach yeah, and he he can see better. Like, yeah he's a coach who can also he's a very talented manager whereas I think we might be seeing some managers who might have been better suited as coaches <laughs> mm. oh there's going to be a lot of that yeah.
2: another 3-0 victory for Burnley against Southampton. was this a case JJ of Southampton being ropey at the back or Burnley just attacking well and being clinical.
3: Burnley are just a nightmare to deal with when they're launching it forward and you've got fridge freezers running straight at you. That's exactly what they did. <laughs> I said it a bit earlier, Southampton really wanted to just like, they want to press you high and they want to engage you and get, like, go at you and carry that momentum in. So Burnley are like, well, you're not doing that. Hold them at arm's length and then just shell the ball up towards the big lads. Uh, really well taken goals. Like, all three of them are, are really well taken. Southampton will be fine this season. I really think that will be quite good. But Burnley are... Just really very, very, very talented at getting these big lads to score goals. Did you see Ashley Barnes was spotted in Five
5: Guys after the match? still wearing his Burnley tracks right? post-match off, which I think just, it just it's just so Burnley doesn't suggest there's
2: <laughs> uh, much of a dietitian uh, yeah. culture at Burnley or at least not, not a powerful enough dietitian what about Billy Sharp Mina a goal on his Premier League debut for Sheffield United played a couple of games for Southampton of course this was the only point for a promoted team over the weekend and probably the least fancied of the three Sheffield United were you impressed with how they took to uh, their debut in the top flight against Bournemouth
4: yeah actually I thought that they were very good um I, I love that you look at me because you just think I'm gonna be so angry. I looked at this team before <laughs> beforehand and I thought to, and I thought this was gonna be a really special game because obviously Chris Wilder, his idol is Eddie Howe. So it's nice that they were like facing off in, in the first game. And um, and I just thought, you know, with these, you know, these centre backs that bomb forward, and then obviously JJ was trying to explain that, and I thought, oh, oh my god, this is just going to be a disaster in the <laughs> Premier League. But it looks like what's happened is that they really do understand this this idea and this this way of playing, and they're so used to it that it's almost become like chemical within them. They they know how to do it at all times, and it was interesting to watch how fluid they were when interchanging their formations. Um, Billy Sharp, what 18 minutes of Premier League football and. And he's just—it was it, honestly there was just not a, a like a part of you that wasn't ecstatic at seeing him just get his goal, and you thinking, hey, "Yep, you definitely deserve that." And I thought that they were really good for the points, so I I, I I really enjoyed it.
2: What about Arsenal, Sam? They got it done up in the rain at Newcastle on mm. Sunday. Uh, Aubameyang, thirty-three goals in fifty Premier League appearances for him—pretty astonishing record. Um, but no room in the starting lineup for Pepe, Louise or TNE. Arsenal will get better than this, presumably, but how impressive was it that they got a result on the opening weekend?
5: Uh, getting and clean a clean
4: sheet. Yes.
5: Yeah, getting a clean sheet away from home. I think they did that once all last season wow. and the first one was in April, I believe. Uh, so doing that in the first game is definitely encouraging. They have played with a back four, which has been their plan for the whole preseason to move back to that, having spent the whole of last season well, the whole second half of last season playing with a back three. I thought Callum Chambers was excellent. He's had a good pre-season. He looks really solid. I mean, at the start of the summer, people thought he might go, I think including him. And then he's since come in and, and really cemented that place down. So I think it's going to be a battle now From based on this weekend alone for Louise to actually get in the team straight away. I think that that might not be as instant as people would, would think. Um, uh, Tierney will be a couple of months still before he's fully... Available to play, but he'll absolutely upgrade that left back position, as JJ said. And then they also had all these young players playing. They had Joe Willock, who's had a great preseason. They had Ainsley Maitland Niles, who made the goal and was, I thought, brilliant throughout. He and then Reese Nelson playing on the left. And Nelson will get more and more chances this year because Iwobi's now gone. We mentioned Iwobi going to Everton, and he had a good year on loan in Germany last season. He's come back, he looks fresh, he looks sharp. I thought he did really well. I thought he, he was far better than Mkhitaryan, not for the first time in the last few weeks. And I can imagine that when Pepe is ready to start, it will be Mkhitaryan who falls out and
3: and Nelson might might stay on the left. Mkhitaryan's weird, isn't he? Because he, he looks like he should be such a good player. He, mm. he looks like someone who would cost 40 million or something. Mm-hmm. But all he seems very good at is controlling the ball, running with it, and that's it. <laughs> and there's no... His, his, his shooting I've never seen be very good. He never seems to hit the target, mm. or if he does hit the target, it's always straight at the keeper. And his then his final pass, yeah, great. his yeah. final ball is always put. There must be a talented player in there, because so many people have highly rated him. I read that he suffers quite a lot with the confidence, and that was one of the things that he did really well. Bruce, Bruce Dortmund, when he was under Klopp, he was so good there, because he was, you know, beloved and he was the star of the show, and he kept getting told he was the best, and then that got kicked out of him a wee bit at Man United. But I'd wonder, I don't know if he's recovered from that so much. It doesn't look like the player that I've always been told he is. He's just I, never... He's never... To me, nailed down a position. Like, I don't know if he is he
5: best on the right or on the left or in the centre. And he, he, every time he's played there, he's always looked a bit sort of floating halfway between positions and never quite delivering that final it's pass or that effect. final shot. And he just think. What, what, where do you want to play? I'd love to know if I'd love to have a chat with him and say, where, where's your best position if he says, you know, number 10 behind Aubameyang, and then fair play? But that is that.
4: where he wants to play. Do
5: you think? Do you, but, you think, do you think if he's not Liverpool signed him, him in him. January,
2: he'd suddenly look amazing again under
4: Club? Yeah, I think that there's a Liverpool effect, uh, sorry, there's a Klopp effect, rather. And you saw that in Dortmund because a lot of those players that left Dortmund just never lived up to those heights again. Um,
5: Aubameyang's done it. Uh, Lewandowski did it did Goetze you do No, do no, it. I agree
4: this, with you. This
2: Listen, is the problem with Song Europe with being you. so good, Mina. We're now too well-educated about what happens in Europe. <laughs> no, no, I, I
4: agree with you on Lewandowski, but then you look at yeah. Um You look at uh, Blaschkowski and Piszczek. I mean, it's not that they're bad, but they. Nori Shaheen going off to Real Madrid just didn't really hit it off, whereas Artur, uh, you know, Vidal did so much better and he was sort of considered the second-best midfielder in the, in the league um, from Bayer Leverkusen at the time. I do think that there are a lot of players who just... Shinji Kagawa... Um, it's not that they became bad. It's that Klopp has this way of like making an average player become better or want to kill for him or want to die for him. And and back in, I feel like in Spain at the time, we had Pellegrini had that effect on certain players as well. It, and Gasparini has that on Atalanta players. So that when they leave, it's almost like the excitement and this desire and watching these films where they're like gladiators, it, it's no longer there. And then you might see them at the level that, that he is. But. I'll be honest to you. I I watch Salah. I mean, I'm sorry. Mohamed Salah was not going to be that guy for me. Mm. And then the first year, it's like the guy's a Ballon d'Or winner, you know, practically. And I do think that club has just this way of, of just getting you to just want to do everything for your side and, and, and improve you and, and look at what you, what you're so good at. And this is what I like actually about Graham Potter, because I do think that he does it in a different way. It's less motivational, but more like, let me speak to you. Let me understand you. Let me see what you want to do. Um, and I think that he picks up on these things and makes players better. And then somehow, when they leave, I don't know if they ever can live up to these past glories.
3: Continue. D-
4: Shape Coutinho is really one. important
3: as well. Like yeah, another one, left Klopp and has been rubbish. Yeah, since.
4: Coutinho. Exactly. Yeah, that's a good one actually. If
3: you're a ten for one team, it doesn't mean you're going to be exactly exactly as good for another. So if you play mm. you're playing a ten like for Chelsea back in Reno, it's a different role entirely to what you were doing at Klopp at Borussia Dortmund. So in terms to a lot of players, they think like Kagawa is going to be the next best thing ever at Man United when he goes there, but he's playing in an entirely different kind of setup. And Klopp's players all run through the middle very fast, and because Mkhitaryan's very good running with the ball, that's why he looks so good when he gets to do that, but when he's not able to do that, he doesn't have quite the same quality of output as certain other kinds of players. So it's a weird one. Like, he does suit it. But.
2: Quick word, Sam, on Ozil and Kolasinac, who were left out of the Arsenal squad. Uh, the ongoing blowback from the thing that happened with their car being attacked. Uh, what, what can you tell us about that? What's the latest?
5: I'll stick to the facts. The facts are that about two weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago now, Ozil and Kolasinac were caught up in this carjacking attempt, which I'm sure everyone's seen the video of. Mm-hmm. And then... They both didn't play against Leon the following week uh, because Emery said they weren't mentally ready for that after... It was three days after the incidents. That seems perfectly reasonable. They both then travelled to Barcelona and played last weekend on Sunday and both played and were there. And then on Friday, Arsenal said they'd been pulled out of the squad due to further security incidents. So based on that, well, we know for a fact that those incidents and there have been at least, at least two at separate times at separate, separate places... Uh, have taken place this week since the Barcelona game. Uh, we also know for a fact that two men were arrested outside Meza Ozil's home on Thursday night after uh, you know, an altercation, a non-physical one, a verbal altercation with uh, basically private security staff that Ozil has hired in the last few weeks. So that's what we know. We don't know anything about the other the other situation with Kolasinac, um if indeed, you know, the nature of that at all. That's what we know. Emery says he doesn't know when they're going to be available to play again. They're clearly very much upset by what's going on which you would be and I imagine their families are too particularly if there are threats at their homes as was the case with Ozil so this is I mean I can't think of anything similar to this I mean in terms of preventing players from playing before I mean obviously Andy Carroll had the held, held up a gunpoint incident which was horrific and there have been loads of burglaries and robberies when when players are out playing because they're on TV playing so the burglars know they're not at home but I can't think of any incident where two players have been deliberately left out and told and told their team basically, I don't want to travel with my with my squad. I want to be with my family because of, I'm scared of their safety. So it's it's pretty unprecedented, and it's it's still um, ongoing. I think would be the phrase.
2: Grim stuff. Let's hope they're back with us soon. Let's leave all that behind now and head to the continent. <laughs> Messi, Bakul, Jules, Egym, Paul, Gypsy, Jazz, Swing, Spectacular. Let's talk about France, Mina. It's (laughs) a song for Europe. Neymar, left out of the first PSG game of the season, seems like he's off. Where are Barcelona hiding their magic money tree? How are they going to make this happen?
4: I don't know, because if you find it, I'd like to know where it is as Mm. well. Um, Also, what's the point of having Neymar if you have Griezmann and Messi and Suarez and it's just too many players? Shirt
2: sales, Mina. (laughs)
4: <laughs> oh, indeed, indeed, shirt sales. Um, listen, if they do do that, it'll probably be with Coutinho going the other way and potentially with another player attached to him. Um, so that'll be interesting to see. They do really want this deal to go through, but right now they're trying to like look through the sofa to see if they've got any spare dimes to add to, to their collection to try to purchase Neymar back. Um, in the meantime, I think that their interest is, <laughs> is even more like... They're even more annoyed about everything because Real Madrid have now been linked to the player. And... While I don't think Zinedine Zidane wants him because he really wants Pogba, he wants that midfielder, uh, I think that Florentino Perez really wants a commercial revenue um, sort of avenue the way that Ronaldo provided for for them before. He thinks Neymar can provide them with that now. Um, asked did a, a survey and asked Real Madrid fans how many of them want Neymar and 60% said they don't want Neymar. Um Juventus were also linked with him, but they're They're, try- they're too busy trying to sell to Balor to somebody who'll take him. So they don't actually uh, have the money for him either. But it doesn't really matter because they won 3-0 on their opening day of the weekend because Kylian Mbappe is a star. And Cavani, you know, feels str- you know strong and capable and is going to stay there until the end of the contract. And uh, they're still a strong team, whether Neymar's there or not.
2: Another 3-0 in league on over the weekend was Monaco losing 3-0 at home to Lyon. A very soft post-VAR decision. I'm not going to start the clock because we won't be discussing it. Uh, Cesc Fabregas was sent off for Monaco. How broken are Monaco on this evidence?
4: I mean, look, obviously we know that they had a terrible uh, season last year and that there was all these changes on the bench. I don't think this is much to look at uh, in the sense that if you are... Um, somebody who believes in patterns. Monaco tend to always do badly in the first game of the season, or at least uh, in the beginning, whereas Lyon have not lost the first game of the season since the 1990s. So, I don't know, maybe this is something just like they always come out from the blocks and know how to do something special. Or Monaco are a little bit fragile at the moment. Obviously, losing Fabregas to a red card is huge, and that gives um, Lyon all the power. They are a strong team. Obviously, we've seen that before. Um, And they've brought in new players, having sold so many of the others. But um, I don't think yet we can say anything. But it's going to be a very hard season for Jardim at Monaco.
2: Where are the rest of the European leagues mean? And when do we get them back?
4: So we get Spain uh, from the 16th of August. And we get Italy from the 24th. hardy. I know. I don't know why, because they're going to enjoy Ferragosto and then they're going to be like, yeah, well, we've still got Positano and Napoli and, you know, like let's just enjoy the Amalfi Coast for a little bit longer. (laughs) Also, I do think that they have this belief that if they reach the Champions League final, they don't want to have three weeks in between the end of the season to sort of when that is. So they want to be like momentum running because they really do feel like on this occasion they have... Really good teams that could do something in Europe.
2: Good news for Atalanta then, for when they make their fairy tale run to the show. <laughs> yeah,
4: they're going to be out it. straight away. <laughs> yeah.
2: Let's finish off with a question that we put to our friends on social media, which was After a young Liverpool fan ran into a lamppost chasing after Mo Salah's car and broke his nose, which footballer would you risk injury to get a photograph with? At United, DZ said Dan James. He would be tricky to catch. Uh, and someone who might be a little bit easier to catch these days comes from Matt Richards, who said Titus Bramble. Sam, who will you injure yourself in order to be photographed with?
5: I'm ashamed to say this because it shouldn't be my answer now, but you know when you, you're a kid and your childhood hero is just so much ingrained in your mind that he's a hero. But Michael Owen, oh. I saw Michael Owen in a press, a press room at the end of last season, and I was just like, it's the first time. And I was, you know, you see footballers in this job. It's the first time I thought. It's was the first time I was a little bit starstruck, and Owen's a really boring guy, and like his career really dwindled a bit, obviously. And he, but, but for me, as a kid growing up, he was the man. He was the man, so he's the one I'd probably most like to get a picture with.
2: Mina?
4: Um, sorry, but you know when you say you meet lots of footballers, it was really funny, because when I was in Juventus, I was supposed to do an interview with Ronaldo, but they cancelled it because of all these like things to do with his private life. Um, and... Um, And then he just walked past me and I looked and I thought, where do I know this guy from? And it took, like, honestly, (laughs) like a whole minute to realize it's Ronaldo. Um, But... uh, Did
2: he look different in the flesh?
4: No, I just don't know what it is. I think that I was so lost in my own mind, you know, thinking, oh, I'm so annoyed that I'm not going to get this interview now. You know, they're giving me, like, Chesney as an alternative. I'm like, there's a big difference here, guys, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, And I just... And he just walked past and he was, like, smiling with his, like, beaming smile and, like, thousands of diamonds just all sort of balancing off the mirrors and I just thought, how do I know you? Like, where have I seen you? He sort of looks like he's a, a Hollywood star because he's so gelled, you know, and he's so shiny. But anyway. When, they, when they
2: you are. describe him as being sort of made entirely of diamonds, I'm imagining Homer Simpson when he's <laughs> made entirely of gold and the biggest man in the world going, ha, 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 which is quite, quite on brand for Ronaldo.
5: One thing I've noticed about footballers, and I'm going on a massive tangent here and you might well have to edit this out, but um, the footballers obviously like, they are just blokes. But I find, in my experience, <laughs> footballers are bigger in terms of bone structure. Not in terms of muscle or, like, beef, but in terms of just bone structure. Oh, my God, have you seen Antonio blood. Conte? Yeah. Is he, his
4: face, is, his head is, is like, enormous. it's a bobblehead. Like, for example, so.
5: Eric Dyer is my height. But Eric Dyer is a much bigger man than me because I think simply just bone structure, like, his head is bigger than my head. And he's got bigger, like, <laughs> knees. And it's really weird. Like, it's not muscles. It's not like bench press or like bicep curl stuff. It's just like structure. Like, I mean, he, is more, stronger. he is more solid than me as a human being.
3: How do you work out your bones in the gym? That's also what it is. It's not, it's not muscle. It's just like, you know,
5: when you shake his hand, his hand is much bigger than my hand. He's just structurally bigger, despite being the same height did and you, maybe a similar weight. Did you give us an answer, Mina?
4: No. My answer was, um, I'm embarrassed to say this. There's only one player I've ever fancied in my life. Um... And I used to stand outside his hotel <laughs> oh.
2: room.
4: It's Pierluigi Castaragi.
2: Oh, a good choice. A good choice. Do I, do I? I would
3: never have guessed that in <laughs> a million years. Uh, I always used to, I used to love Alan Shearer when I was growing up. God, he was good. But um, I've actually waited outside Pataudry a couple of times to try and uh, get the players autographs. And one day, Ebby Skoufdel, the then manager, came out and we got him to sign our shirts. And I mean, my pal told him all the football manager wonder kids he should sign. And we almost got relegated. <laughs> <laughs> Redondo, <laughs> Redondo would have
4: been one I would have killed myself for. He was my favorite. Redondo. Player. Yeah.
3: I mean,
2: never dramatic, Mina. Never dramatic. That's a lot for this week. You can contact me on Twitter if you would like to before next Monday's episode. It is at Tom with an H Gibbs on that website. We also have an email address. You've heard it once already in the podcast. Why not hear it again now and send us an email? We'll read out the best of what you send us. The address is afcpodcast at telegraph.co.uk. Don't forget to subscribe for the podcast. Just look for Audio Football Club wherever you get your podcasts. You can leave us a review as well if you like on Apple Podcasts. We had a lovely one this week from somebody calling themselves Comedy 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 92 who says that we swerve the puns and in-jokes of every other football podcast, their capitals, but still keep things light and entertaining while being really insightful. Look, if you want to join Comedy, Comedy, Comedy 92 and have your nom de plume read out into this microphone, then please leave us a review. Uh, Very helpful to us indeed. Thanks a lot. Thanks also to Joel Grove on the buttons and thanks to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon.